What's going on, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Along the Keel. My name is Captain Zach, and in this week's episode, I chat with Aiden and Alex, the brothers behind the sustainable apparel brand, Relic. These guys are very, very, very interesting dudes with a great mission, preserving and protecting the ocean by bringing together local organizations through the sale of their originally designed ocean-inspired clothing and artwork. It was great being able to chat with these guys about how they built their first screen printer from Home Depot, believe it or not, why Relic got started, and the inspiration behind their artwork. That and more on this week's episode of the show. Before we get started, make sure to go to alongthekeel.com, check us out on social media, and we are excited to announce that we're working with some great partners of ours, such as the crew over at Chasing Tides Collective and the fine folks at Waypoint TV. Be sure to go check those guys out as well. You can see the links in our show notes. And with that, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the podcast, episode number 68, featuring Relic. Yeah, it's like, have you ever seen that meme where it's like, uh, it goes, you know, spring, summer, fall, but in between it's like New England summer, New <laughs> England spring, and it's like all these different like variations in between, you know? Have you guys yeah. seen that before? I don't think no, so. No, but I can imagine. <laughs> no? section being quite long <laughs> yeah it's like winter and then there's like false false spring and then real winter then it goes on to like you know different ideations of that but man like having it 60 degrees and then all of a sudden back to 30 it's brutal it's not it really fun is. it's not <laughs> it's your hopes up it really does yeah it totally does i like the uh what is that a yellow fin behind you uh it's a blue fin Oh yeah, bluefin. All right. It's very yellow though. It's sort of colored like a yellowfin, I think. Yeah. I like it's it though. Got a lot of color. It's um, you bought that one. Yeah, it's this artist from uh, California. His his name's like Abakar, I think. Okay. Abakar. Um, he does a bunch of fish portraits. Um, this one you can't really see it right there, but there's like a you can see the skeleton of the fish in there. Um, oh really? He's a really cool artist. Yeah, I like. His huh. Stuff like What's that. his name? I want to write this guy down. Um, Abacar, I think it's A B, um, A B A C H E R, something like that. It's got an um, awesome set of stickers. Yeah, he makes great stickers. He makes some T-shirts and. Yeah. Do you yeah. think that was kind of some influence for Relic then? Uh not really. But no. after like starting Relic and then seeing his stuff, it definitely they're very similar brands. But I don't I don't yeah. know if he does much sustainability stuff. I know he's a, he dives, um, and whatnot, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I gotta, brand. yeah. Well, I gotta say like the stickers that you guys sent over and thank you, by the way, I'm wearing my sweatshirt right now. Of course. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's super comfortable and the stickers are phenomenal. I mean, the detail that you guys go into the oyster is just pretty unreal. Is that which one is um like which one of you guys are the designers? Uh, I do uh, pretty much all the graphic drawing and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, Alex and I we discuss the concepts and um, he kind of critiques my work along the way. Mm -hmm. um, he's kind of the only person I really sort of bring it to along the early stages and kind of you know what do you think about this? Do you think this concept's strong enough? Um, not that all of the works that I've done are like conceptually driven but it's kind of like you know for our, going forward i think we're trying to set a higher standard for that art and mm -hmm. Alex helps me like kind of pushes me to draw things that have more of meaning than just you know um 
a trigger fish, for instance, even though the trigger fish is a, is a fun design and a lot of people enjoy that. Right. Try our designs kind of have a story behind each of them. Um, our, our whole brand kind of started with, with the story and with, you know, we, we love the ocean and we've been surfing mm-hmm. and fishing for many years now. And even the trigger fish is just something that you see underwater all the time. And for most people, it just looks like a fish that people can relate to. But for us, it's like, you know, there's been so many different experiences with that same right. species. And it's so that's what we try. Yeah, it's to, a representation. Exactly. Yeah. And we try to put that onto our shirts um, and hope that yeah. people like that. Yeah. I dig I that. Think- I dig that a lot. I just had a conversation with um, this guy named Dylan Stewart who does this thing called, it's like wood burning. It's called Bold Coast Burns. His work um, is incredible. I love his artwork. You've seen his work. Okay. So yeah. You, you yeah. Know. I own, I own uh, three of his prints and Alex owns two of them. Couple, yeah. uh, oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. So we're on the same page. Artists. Yeah. <laughs> he's a <laughs> big inspiration for um, anything that I do. I always think about his just he set the bar so high Um, he he really did and i mean his artwork is very reminiscent of what you guys are doing too you know and you know after having him on the show and kind of getting a little bit deeper into why you know each piece is done the way it is it was kind of on this on a similar line you know it's a representation of him growing up down here in rhode island and going spearfishing on the on the west wall you know, or fishing up in Maine with his dad because his dad was a commercial fisherman. So it's very cool to see that you guys are kind of doing something similar and that each design and each fish, you know, means something very unique to each of you, right? Like I, I, I've been bringing up this fish a lot and it's the Tatak, right? So the Tatak, <laughs> arguably, in my opinion, probably one of the best tasting fish in New England. I agree. Um, just <laughs> see see and it's it's not very well known either right because if you yeah. go to the restaurant you're getting don't, what you don't even see it on the menu you don't even Which see it on the I'm menu not, i'm not unhappy about because i think um <laughs> you know if you know you know kind of with the tog right it's like it's not it's not a very sexy fish they're very slimy but you know underneath <laughs> the slime is just gold <laughs> that's right and you know what i've been saying it's like <clears throat> i think a perfect representation of like the northeast or New England, or whatever you want to classify like this section of the country, <laughs> the people that live there are like Tataks, right? That they're they're kind of they're kind of obscure in in many ways. They have this hard exterior that's like able to get through these rough times with the weather and the winter and the, all these cold you know climates, but yet they're so friendly and inviting. When you, I mean, obviously when you eat a Tatag, right? If you want to say that want to make an analogy there but i don't know i i I think it's a good representation of you know the just kind of going with the woes is is what a tatag is and i think new england and in the northeast in general with this you know earn your summer mentality where it's spring summer winter fall right um i think the tatag fits that just just perfectly in my opinion i don't know i could be wrong is there a fish that kind of sticks out for you guys no, I agree with you on that. I feel like striped bass, like not to knock them at all. They're beautiful fish, but they get so much hype amongst anglers. I feel like the Tatag, you know, blackfish really, mm-hmm. they're not as, especially in New York because our season is so short for them. Um, not many people really target them and it's not, you know, too uh, popular around here, but they are just such a cool fish. And um, I just, they have such personalities underwater. You know, every time you see one, they're, mm-hmm. Just, it's so interesting. I, I, 
it's hard to describe their personalities, but they really do have a distinct like way of behaving underwater and and they're so social with one Absolutely. another. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> they really are. Like spearfishing up I, I do some spearfishing off of Newport and you know sometimes they'll pop their heads out of this rock crevice and there's all this, you know, beautiful seaweed and everything and eel and, and grasses. And all of a sudden like it pops its head out and it's, they're, they're so curious, but I don't know about you. I've, I've had this experience with Tog where they'll like come right up to my mask oh, yeah. and you get that one opportunity and just hang out. I right? found them to do that. And then, you know, a lot of times they'll kind of take off if you don't, if you don't you sort of judge mm-hmm. that the opportunity, swoosh, right? they come in as like a pack, like 10 of them come in hot right to you. And then like, they see where you are and you move a little bit and then they're like, and they, they explode. Yeah. And they shoot away. But, but they're, but they're curious by nature, you know, it's like, okay. it's, it's kind of cool. Whereas, you know, striped bass, they kind of, and I think you're totally right. I think striped bass, not, not to knock them, right. They're very much so overrated. You know, everyone wants to talk about catching striped bass and don't get me wrong. I love catching striped bass, but I would much rather go brave the elements and catch a couple tog than, go sit in a hot summer day and catch some striped bass that's just me i mean i'm not a big uh fan of the taste of striped bass either i think the the tog like they eat crabs mussels mm-hmm. eat good stuff you know so that's why they taste so good at the same time they they, they have a very a very good taste well <laughs> so then how does i mean how does one start getting into this like did you guys grow up i mean you guys grew up on long island and you're both brothers, right? Which is pretty unique. We haven't had a brother duo on the show yet, which is awesome. And I have a little brother, so I can definitely relate there. Um, you know, how did you guys get into this all? Like, you know, obviously Relic is being the being the end result and evolving, right? But at, at the end of the day, like one just can't become a waterman, right? One can't just pick up spearfishing. It's this evolution and through repetition, through repetition that, you get to where you are today, right? So kind of take me back. Like, where did this all start in terms of getting out into the water, getting out into the outdoors? I think it came from our grandfather who um, got into fishing at an early age, uh, taught my dad how to fish. My dad, you know, took us out at an early age on the water, you know, just rod and reel. We didn't really start spearfishing until high school and college. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, you know, as it is the same with, you know, the same with spearfishing as it is with rod and reel fishing, you got to find the fish. You have to know how, you know, where to look. And um, so I think it's largely the same in that way. And uh, definitely mm-hmm. our dad had a big influence on that. And yeah. What do you think, Alex? Yeah, we've been fishing since we were little kids with my dad. Um, it wasn't until high school where we really started taking a love and passion for it. Um, we were lucky enough to have a small skiff that we could take in into the bay and, and learn how to fish, just me and my brother. Mm-hmm. So we formed a lot of experiences um, and a real connection with the ocean through those experiences. Um, I think we can yeah. tie that into Relic with, you know, saying the inspiration for our brand came from those experiences and mm-hmm. in particular um, came from seeing changes in the water quality uh, where we grew up. So, you know, over the years, we were able to see that, wow, this year, this summer, the water is really brown by the marina. Um, The bay, people don't want to. I remember we we would go clamming sometimes where today we would never go clamming because uh, and that was over Mm -hmm. a 10 year period that it has changed so much. Um, And I think that Mm. 
experience of seeing it sort of change in front of us and, and feeling that feeling of it being in our backyards. I think that was sort of collided with my artwork that I had been doing and Alex's volunteer work with uh, a local organization, Rachel's Bay Project. And the two sort of collided to create a brand where we thought, hey, you know what, we can really educate people and show them um, just kind of like, you know, try to steer people in the direction of giving the ocean more attention and, and realizing what's going on in their backyards um, and giving them a, a vehicle mm. to give back and be able to uh, make changes about it and do something about it. Yeah. yeah, I remember there was a, a time me and Aiden were actually sitting on the back of a ferry going over to the Catalina Island over in California, and we were going on a spearfishing mm -hmm. trip. And we were just thinking, like, Aiden had tons of uh, artwork that he had drawn in the past. Um, he would do surfboard artwork, really cool designs, octopuses. The triggerfish design was one of them. And we were like, these designs, they look great on paper, but, you know, what can we do to you know, extrapolate on this idea, extrapolate on these designs. And then that's when the idea formed of, you know, why don't we put these onto some t-shirts and start for every t-shirt we sell, we start planting oysters back into the, into the bay. I volunteered for mm -hmm. an organization called the Merch's Bay Project. So I knew where they source their oysters, the life of an oyster and the positive effects that it, they have on the environment. Um, so that's kind of how the idea mm -hmm. the team came together, the artwork and the sustainability kind of started like that, like five years ago, five or five years ago, you said yeah, about that. Um, yeah, we were kind of sitting around, there was mm -hmm. a picnic table at the campsite and I had brought a notebook as like, I always try to pack like a book or something, uh, whenever I go backpacking and broke it out and we we're mm -hmm. like, all right, let's run through some I'm the same way. Yeah. <laughs> let's try to figure out, you know, can we mm -hmm. make a business here? Like, will, would this work you now? Uh, and so Alex and I, we did our first, like, we built like a little table and we, we, uh, you know, estimated some pricing and none of the numbers made any <laughs> sense. We were completely lost with like what we were doing. Uh, and you know, Alex ended up studying finance. I did chemical engineering. So we ended up actually like doing a lot with numbers, but at the time we were just so confused mm -hmm. by what we were looking at. Uh, we, we eventually worked through it, but it was sort of funny that we were sitting there, uh, in this beautiful location, like trying to kind of start the seed for the brand. And uh, at first we were just totally off base <laughs> with our calculations. We didn't um, know how much. What were you guys lost with though? Like, Just like, uh, sort of just like, oh, you know, it costs us X and we're selling it for Y. So uh, we're able to mm. make this much money. And we were sort of like, wait a minute, like that doesn't seem right. Like our, our costs were just off and we, we sort of didn't really know what it truly costs to make a shirt. And um you know, mm -hmm. we started off printing everything in the barn. Uh, my mom used to have horses and then they had passed away. And so we kind of repurposed the space as kind of a workshop. Um, been super grateful that mm -hmm. our parents were cool with us doing whatever kind of art projects we wanted at any point. And um, we built a screen press, uh, just really just a trip to Home Depot with some hinges and um, some C-clamps. And yeah, we were not the best. You know that sounds. You know that sounds crazy, though, right? <laughs> like you built your own screen printing machine, right? Whereas, like start. most people would have nowhere where to start. Was this like a YouTube University example right here? Building your I own screen like printer. I've honestly learned more off Google and YouTube than I have in my entire education. <laughs> uh, I can. I will second that. I will definitely <laughs> second that. But you know what's you know what's interesting. Like what I find is. 
I, I relate to this in this story in so many ways, right? Because I grew up very fortunate to have grown up here in in Wickford, Rhode Island. And there's a little there's a creek in the back of my yard, which then leads to um, the harbor, Wickford Harbor, and that goes into Narragansett Bay. So as a kid, you know, much like yourselves, I was fortunate enough where my brother and I, we we both we built a boat together. And then with my dad, and then we also had this little Zodiac dinghy with like a 9.9 on it. Right. And the story goes, if, if we could swim across the Creek without a life jacket, we could then take the boat out by ourselves and we could go wherever we wanted. Right. And then wherever we wanted within the range of the dinghy and, you know, our ability at the time. Right. We, we, we obviously pushed the limits and probably went a little farther than we should have. You know, I did take a trip in a 12 foot dinghy to Jamestown one day. <laughs> and uh, in February, which probably wasn't a good idea, but, um, <laughs> you know, you live and learn. But, uh, yeah, you, you know, being able to watch the tides come in and out and the different species and how the marsh like around here, there's a lot of marshland. But that marshland has gotten taken up by Phragmites astralis, right, which is an invasive species. Um, and then, you know, you, you see the decline in the oyster population and the mussel population and all of a sudden things that you would normally catch on a daily basis just aren't there as much. Right. And you don't see as many minnows coming into the estuary. So it was kind of cool. It was, it it was a very good way to grow up because I was able to see it firsthand. Right. And then when I went to college and started studying this, you know, you know, to become a professional in or whatever you want to do, started in a career, you know, I was taking these classes and a lot of the times the people around me had never experienced that. Right. So it was kind of all new to them. Whereas I was just, I was, I had lived it. Right. So taking that, you know, example and kind of moving it into relic, I, I can totally relate because in many ways, having grown up in a very similar way, you, you take those lessons in the ways that you've been just experiencing life and you put it on to whatever else you're going to do. Right. Like if I hadn't grown up next to the water, this podcast probably would never have been a thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So same with relic, right? Like you guys grew up doing this and, and, you know, seeing the tides and seeing the wind and how things react to it and going out on the boat, which I got to ask, what kind of boat was it? What was your favorite? What was the first boat? If you know me, you know, I'm always on the run up early and home late. So having a three hour morning routine isn't really in the cards for me. What is in the cards is AG one. It's a fast way to get vitamins and minerals I need to perform. I first gave AG1 a try because it was, I wanted a single solution that helps support my entire body by filling in nutrient gaps and simplifying my morning routine. Since drinking AG1 daily, I've always felt strong and energized and ready to attack the day. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, and more, it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's one scoop, mixed in water, once a day, and every day. I know that AG1 is giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process so you know that it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrition density. AG1 is a supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. Here is your chance to start every day this season with a gift to yourself. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash provengrit. That's drinkag1.com slash provengrit. 
check it out. First boat was a 21-foot Boston Whaler, I think. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. yeah. Classic it's such boat. a good day boat. Oh, man. <laughs> was it uh, 21 feet? So that would be... No, it was, a, it, was a 19, it was a 19 Montauk. No, we had... It was a 21-foot Grady White that we started on, and then we got a 19-foot okay. Montauk. And that's, that's okay. the majority of our fishing on with the Montauk. Yeah. So I have... I Right now, I have a 17 Montauk, and then I grew no. up on a V20 step lift. And dude, that Montauk, man, that is like the iconic, just just an iconic boat. Really we gotta is. we gotta we gotta take a minute to talk about the Montauk and how great it is. <laughs> because in terms of a bay boat, like yeah, you might get a little bit wet, but you're always gonna get home. You're not gonna sink, right? I mean, you could you could pull the plug on that thing and you wouldn't sink. Um, but that thing's they're they they're quick. They move too. Like I don't yeah. know about you guys, but. Relatively, you know, it has that little bit of a V hole, but it's relatively mm-hmm. flat too. So you get into shallow water, um, especially where we live. The, the majority of the bay is like five foot, if that. So there's a lot of like rogue sandbars that you could potentially mm-hmm. rogue up, roll up onto. So have rolled up onto. We, yeah, we have. <laughs> um, yeah. You it, guys have found a few sandbars here and there. Oh, yeah. That's just the way. If you know, if you boated in Marich's Bay, you know that you just every year things change. And you might be safe in the same place one year and you're not going to be the next. So no, no one's everything safe. moves around. Every year yeah. there's a, a period where it's <laughs> the early people are, you know, the early boaters are trying to navigate how to get out of the inlet, you know, because every year the sandbars move around and it's like, well, do we do the East cut this year? Do we go through the, you know, the West side and try to navigate through these sandbars and avoid these, you know, whitewater on bigger days mm-hmm. uh, it's just always so variable so yeah <laughs> the bay around here just constantly changing oh yeah no yeah, that the boat made it so that we was <laughs> the amount of actual uh grounds that we would run because it wouldn't pull that much water thank god but yeah yeah the, i mean they're they're i use it as like a kind of like the run around the the 20 foot v20 is it, it's a great fishing boat but for the for a quick little you know cruise the montauk is my my boat of choice and it's great for fishing on because you can pretty much cast anywhere you want on it right you're not getting hung yeah. up so um but you know much like the the shifting tides and sands of of the bay it is is kind of like how relic comes together right and much like many other brands so how did this how did this idea you know on a ferry boat ride over to Cat- uh, catalina island and sitting in this campground eventually evolve into what Relic is now, you know? And I have to say, I remember, because I went to URI, I remember seeing you guys at a farmer's market. I think it was like three or four years ago. And I know I told Aiden this, but, um, you know, I saw those designs and I was like, man, that's a cool shirt. And then I, I had to go, I went to work and I, you guys were already gone, but um, it, it's always kind of stuck into the back of my mind. So when you when I talked to Jack from Pharaoh, um, and he put me in touch with you guys. I was like, Oh wait, this is, this is the brand from, you know, three years ago, but you know, I digress. So how did this all come together? Right. So how did you go from an idea to the evolution of what now is relic? Well, we, we had a bunch of designs. We had the concept of connecting the t-shirts to a sustainability mission. Uh, we put the hard work in and printing in the garage, putting orders through and I think the real catalyst for us was uh, going to craft fairs and, mm. um, 
you know, on a Saturday or a Friday night, Alex and I were printing all day and night trying to get all these clothes together for the, the weekend in which we were going to do one or two craft fairs on Long Island. Um, and then we would go and we'd sell through what we have and uh, collect a lot of feedback on what we were doing. And I think it was an extremely powerful sales experience because we were able to talk to every customer that we sold the shirt to and collect their feedback. And it sort of steered us in the direction of what people like. Um, and mm -hmm. gave us a lot of validation on our product. And from there we built the online store. Uh, and then fast forward a couple of years, we have a team now, um, and our sustainability mission has significantly expanded. We've planted almost 16,000 oysters. Now, uh, we were managing a flopsy this summer. Wow. Uh, we started a new initiative a to what? up the beaches. Sorry, a flopsy. Yeah, what go go back a little bit what what'd you say <laughs> yeah absolutely so um a super efficient way to grow oysters especially um for the purpose of filtering the surrounding water is to um basically okay. hang them in barrels off of a floating dock that's called a flopsy which i believe is like a floating upwelling system is the sort of what it stands for oh interesting um and so you get spat uh which we get from cornell cooperative who um, I guess, you know, breeds the oyster and is, and is able to provide us with the spat. Um, and we work with Merit's Bay mm -hmm. Project to raise them from when they're, you know, 60,000 oysters fit in a tiny little space like this to being 12 barrels uh, running along a floating dock and they weigh yeah. 100 pounds each. <laughs> wow. So basically the way it works is... Holy you, crap. You Each barrel slides onto this main upwelling tube and it basically pulls all the water through mm -hmm. the barrels uh, and super, super feeds the oysters. So you grow them as fast as you can. And we get them mm -hmm. to be from a very small size, like way smaller than your fingernail, to it, about an inch and a half by the end of the season. And we return them back to the bay at that point. Um, wow. So and that's all done through Relic. That's all you guys. That's through, we partner with Marich's Bay. Uh, Alex, you know, he's been working with them mm -hmm. since... I don't know, we were in high school. And so we've kind of merged forces with them and they're super cool. They let us do our own thing. So we're able to, you know, they get, they give us a flopsy to manage and um, we bring down all kinds of people to expose them to what we're doing. And it's just a really fun, hands-on experience. It's dirty work. Um, what do you think? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a lot of fun in the summertime. This is our first year doing the flopsy and it was a real way for us to actually get our hands on with the oysters. Um, before we, you know, had that, that strong relationship with them, we were just, you know, providing them with funds to, to purchase oysters to put in the bay. Um, but then actually like growing mm -hmm. the oysters with your own hands, it really connected us with our mission. Um, and it made a big difference, I think, for our entire team. Um, it made us realize how, how strong the sustainability is within our brand. Um, and we've been pushing that into further avenues for sustainability this year. Um, there's actually one point I want to go back on to though. Um, we mentioned how we screen printed in yeah, our, go for it. yeah, we screen printed in our bar. And I think one key thing on that, that really had a big influence on our business was nowadays when, when most people want to create a t-shirt, they have a design and they immediately go to somebody who can put that design onto a shirt for them, but having the ability to screen print all of these designs onto the t-shirts ourselves and have it right in our backyard allowed for us to do a lot of trial and error. 
we had a printer and we would print out the, de mm. the design onto translucent paper. And then we would take that and we'd create each screen and, and it allowed us so that if we had like a funny little design that we wanted to throw on a shirt, we could throw it on the shirt. No problem. We didn't have to go through those extra steps of sending them out to people online, to that company who's printing the shirt for you. Mm -hmm. It allowed us to have that. We, we got rid of the middleman and it, it created so much more inspiration and creativity for us. And I think that's something that really took us off within the first year or two to actually have a tangible product to offer to people. Um, yeah. Having that autonomy, you know, to be able to do what you want when you want and not have to make a phone call and say, Hey, you know, I need you to build me out another uh, screen, you know, another screen to, to have another shirt made or add this other thing. So when, when you say like, you guys keep referencing, ref, referencing, ugh, um, this hands-on mentality, you know, you, you guys literally went to Home Depot and built a screen printer. You know, like I'm, I'm still floored by that. I mean, to think about it, most people aren't going to do that. They're not going to go buy it. They're going to do exactly what you said, Alex. They're going to go and they're going to find someone who can do the printing for them. But you guys said, no, we're not doing that. We're just going to make it ourselves. You know, and here you guys are, rather than just donating funds to the oyster projects, you were like, no, let's actually get our hands dirty. Like, let's, let's grow these oysters. So, and then, you know, not to discredit the next thing that you guys are doing is, you know, the beach cleanup, right? but you're taking beach cleanups to a whole nother level. So why do you think, you know, obviously sustainability is important to you guys, but why do you think the hands-on portion is so important in, in buying you guys credibility within, you know, within the brand? That's a great question. I mean, I think it, um, I think for us, it comes back, I think it comes back to that experience factor. Mm. Uh, you know, the whole reason why we're doing this is, is because of the experiences that we had growing up. And I think the experience of being involved uh, on the ground level with raising oysters and planting them back and seeing that difference, we really want to develop our brand and continue to develop, to develop our brand to be that bridge between the nonprofit work that's going on and the, pro and, and the community. You know, giving people a way to connect mm -hmm. back to the cause. Um, and it, it works really well sort of like with where we're at right now. Um, our, you know, on Long Island, we've done so much work on Long Island, but as we continue to grow, I think it's really important for us that we want to connect people back to that experience of doing something local and helping a place that they grew up with their mm -hmm. own experiences there. Um, so I think the hands-on factor has been, you know, I think it's just, it's just about that experience and, the, and, and actually, you know, putting in that, that physical labor and doing it just makes you so much more tied to the cause. And I think that that means a lot to Alex and I and, and Jack and Tossin, who are also on our team. Um, and I think it means a lot to the people who support our mission as well and who represent our clothing, because ultimately at the end of the day, we want our relic shirts to represent that contribution and to represent our collective effort, not just mm -hmm. Alex and I, what everybody is doing, you know, you put a relic shirt on and we want that to show that, Hey, these guys are aiming to clean up the bay. And for, I don't think, I don't know if listeners mm -hmm. know, but if you don't, for every relic shirt that we sell, we plant five oysters back into the bay to help filter the bay water. Um, and an oyster can filter up to 50 gallons of water a day. So, um, we're looking to, you know, filter millions of gallons of water a day to help make a, a real visual impact on what we have, you know, in our backyards. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's incredible work with, with in, 
in how you guys are going about it. And it, and it's just that same mentality of like, yeah, it's five oysters, but if you compound that over, you know, the, the many years that you guys have been doing it and every shirt that you guys have sold, like five oysters turns into, like you said, millions and millions of gallons of water that's being filtered on a daily basis, right? Which is pretty unbelievable when you think about it. But what I find interesting, and I had a similar conversation, not to keep going back to what Dylan does with Bold Coast Burns, but, you know, this this idea that it's a representation, you know, it's a representation. It's not just a shirt. The design is a representation of an experience that you had with the trigger fish, right? And what that means to you guys. And then at the same time, you know, in, in, the, in the case of Dylan, him painting up a, or, or burning a Tatag or a Striper is the same thing. Because now that person who purchases that shirt, it's a direct link to that experience. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a constant reminder of, hey, you know, this is something I believe in. You know, this is, this is something that I can get behind, right? It's that idea of voting with your wallet. You know, if you want to make a difference, you got to go, you got to go pay for it. Right. You know, and, and obviously volunteering and everything else is super important, but at the end of the day, you know, if we can buy a shirt from you guys and all of a sudden we're filtering million, millions of gallons of water, well, that's a massive impact. Right. So it's that, it's that whole mentality of it takes a village, you know, and you guys are kind of building that village, which is very, very cool. So let's dive into this like whole new beach cleanup concept. Cause I think that is, that's something that really struck me as, wow, you know, it, it's the same idea of the oysters, right? It's this compounding effect in our environment that breeds a much larger impact than if one person went to the beach and picked up trash, right? It's, it's this idea of you're bringing together another village. Yeah. Um, I would, I so excited to talk about the beach pickup project <laughs> really quickly on what you said though because it's it's such an important point of like um creating that representation and i think when i first spoke to you uh, a couple of weeks ago we were saying mm-hmm. how there's those shirts that kind of end up in your closet for a really long time mm-hmm. uh, and i'm really glad you brought that up <laughs> yeah that's kind of what we want our shirts to be is that like somebody has such a connection with what we're doing and feels for for the mission and obviously our shirts are comfortable and they're organic and all this but um that added layer of impact like we view that as what the future of clothing is it's more than just a t-shirt but it's it's a representation of a greater impact and a sustainability mission that's looking to preserve what we all really care about and uh preserve those experiences that we had growing up as a kid on the water and making sure that we can give our kids that same experience. Um, and I think that, you know, that's the greater image of, of the brand and what we're going for. Um, and so, yeah, I just wanted to touch on that, but Alex, you want to talk about the beach picker project? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I guess, you know, the inspiration goes when, when, when you take a walk on the beach, if you're not like staring at the ground, you're not really noticing the amount of garbage that you're walking by. But if you take the second to look in the 10 feet, area around you it's there's microplastics everywhere there's garbage all over the place even at the cleanest beaches in in very nice towns there's still garbage all over the place um so Mm -hmm. yeah our uh one of our team members jack brought the idea to us and uh yeah it's been great we we started running with it and uh yeah you want to yeah so essentially the concept is to provide uh, beach cleanup stations at different beaches 
so that beachgoers can take mm -hmm. a basket with them, go for a walk, use the basket to help pick up trash, and then offload the trash into a can that's right by the basket station, uh, return the basket, and leave it for somebody else to use. Um, and so started off as a concept. Uh, you know, we'd seen some things like this online, but not really executed in the way that we thought it could be done. Uh, so we, you know, we start local like we did with the Oyster Project, and we, um, mm -hmm. you know, we reach out to the mayor of our town. Hey, can we do this? They got back to us said absolutely. We met with them, figured it out. Next thing you know, we have seven stations. Uh, now we're looking at a deal with the county where we might, you know, have up to forty stations this summer. And uh, we formed a five hundred one c three recently. And um, oh, nice! Congrats. Started. Thank you. Sort of starting to see it grow into being something greater than just a cleanup station. Uh, but actually, you mm -hmm. know, if we have a hundred cleanup stations on Long Island and people are using them, um, which from the, the few that we have established, we've gotten great feedback and community members really like them. Sorry, I'm going to take an even, an even step further back on explaining this. I think that the, there's so many stakeholders in our beaches. <laughs> you know, you have the towns, yeah. you have community members, you have businesses, you have all these people who care about the ocean. Um, and it's sort of that tragedy of the commons situation where nobody also feels direct responsibility to maintain it. Um, so mm -hmm. we sort of see that the beach pickup project is a potential way to involve all of those stakeholders in a solution where you have businesses through an open auction, businesses who are in that town, uh, sponsoring that station sign to subsidize the cost of that station. You have towns enabling us to do this and facilitating the trash removal. And you have community members engaging with these mm -hmm. stations to actually, you know, voluntarily pick up the trash. Um, and this sort of uh, collaborative between these different you know, groups who make up our community and who make up uh, the shareholders in our, in our coastline, um, we view that as like, you know, kind of like a, a, a model that might have some impact and might be able to kind of like generate a lot of passive removal of trash. Um, and so over time, as we mm -hmm. continue to grow this, we sort of view it as something greater than just a cleanup station, but this collaborative effort between these different groups. Yeah. <laughs> kind of going off. Yeah. On no, I love it. I love how passionate <laughs> you guys are about it too. Like, like not, <laughs> no worries. It, it's, uh, it's cool to see how passionate you guys are about this topic, you know, and how, relic is more way more than just a t-shirt brand you know and and it's that that idea that it's it's something that's long lasting you know brands uh, brands that last right is something that uh, michael sims from hook and gaff you know who's a watch company um kind of said and it really stuck with me right because that's cool you want to make a t-shirt okay but how is your t-shirt going to impact like how is it going to help you know and making that brand that truly lasts the test of time and like you mentioned i'm glad you brought that up was you know that even if you throw it in your closet, like you're still never going to get rid of it. And even if you grow out of it, like I have shirts that I've grown out of, you know, but I'm not going to get rid of them. I can't do it. You know, it's that it's, there's a connection there. Right. And I really think that's what you guys are trying to go for. And in my opinion, you're succeeding, but this whole idea of the tragedy to the commons, man, it's, it's, it's that it, it, that is a standing problem that has stood the test of time for millennium. Right. It's, the idea that, oh, it's it's not my problem, you know, but in reality, it is your problem, 
You know, you just don't want to take responsibility for it. And it's unfortunate because, you know, you walk down the beach and growing up as a kid, it was always this game of trash or treasure, right? So my mom was an environmental um, school teacher. My dad, you know, grew up always on the water. So we, we had this strong connection to the ocean. So if we went for a walk on the beach, it was, all right, is it trash or is it treasure? Meaning if you find, let's say, like a plastic shovel. Well, that plastic shovel has a use, so technically it can be a treasure. But if you just leave it there, well, then it turns into trash, right? And obviously there's other like gum wrappers and stuff like that. So that's that's more the trash pile. But, you know, it, it's this, it, it, quite frankly, it, it sucks, you know? People, people not taking responsibility for their own actions, you know? And that's what the tragedy of the commons is, right? So having that mentality... I think is super interesting because again, going back to the oyster thing, it's the same concept just replicated, you know, it's this compounding effect, you know, whereas let's say, I don't know how many pounds of trash do you guys see getting collected on average so far? That's a really uh, great question. And a question that we want to better understand. Mm -hmm. Um, We started this project uh, less than a year ago. Mm -hmm. uh, And so we haven't, we see, you know, people tagging us on social media that they're picking up trash. And we've definitely seen, you know, had a lot of testimonials sort of conversationally about people using it. Uh, mm-hmm. But one of our goals going into the summer is to really get a better understanding as to like, the you know, the quantity of trash that's actually being removed through through the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that will help us to better explain to the towns, you know, what savings can this have to you? Um, and even to the community members, you know, to say like, Hey, yeah, there's a reason this is here other than, you know, uh, a couple kids taking the baskets and using them for a quick walk, but, um, we're picking up X number of pounds. So I think it's really important. We understand that better. And that's one of our goals, our short-term goals. So it's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's interesting though, cause like, let's just hypothetically say, and I'm sure this number is, you know, we're just going to use 10, right? Cause easy math. So if there's five people that go on a walk on a beach and they each pick up 10 pounds of trash, right? That's 50 pounds a day, but then you have five stations, you know? So now you're doing 250 pounds of trash a day, right? And then we just, we extrapolate that out. It, it's very similar to the oysters. So, but what I really think was kind of put, hit the nail on the head was your, your comment about going back to the stakeholders, you know, them either being the town or, you know, the municipality, what have you, um, and saying, this is how much we're saving you, you know, cause yeah. at the, at the end of the day, you know, it's nice to have a feel good story. It's nice to be able to say, Oh, we got, you know, we donated X amount of dollars. Okay, cool. Awesome. But to actually provide serious value, to those that are making decisions to then make a decision that could drastically change something for the better, right? Whereas opening up more beach access, right? Because now we have the funds to do so and manage that and then manage that resource. Well, that all comes down to saying, okay, well, if, if these guys are able to pick up X amount of trash and manage, you know, that fund, well, now we can have, now we can reallocate that and build, you know, a better pavilion right? With more sustainability and sustainability in mind and so on and so forth. So this cycle continues, but I really like how you guys just made that connection because it, it's, I think it's super important, you know, because at the end of the day, it really is dollars and cents, you know, it, it kind of sucks to say it, but I mean, that's just the way the world works. So until, until we start to do that as a whole, 
right? And think of sustainability and resource management and in allocating money because money is what actually helps fix the problem, you know? Because you can always you can always put a lot of thought into everything, but until you start allocating funds, is, is when the problem gets solved, right? And also building a community, and there's other lot, tons of other things that go into it. But I I think I find that really interesting how you guys did that. Now, do you what's the what's been the reaction so far from those municipalities and those stakeholders? Uh, well, I think immediately they really like you know showing that they're doing something mm -hmm. uh, about this issue. I think everybody knows that it's only going to be in increasing, you know, increasingly a problem. There's so much more trash entering the ocean every year. Um, so I think that they're doing, you know, to show that they're doing something about it looks really good for, for the towns. And I think that they're, uh, you know, reaping the benefits in that way. But I think hopefully in the long term, it goes to, you know, actually reduce the amount of, you know, labor that they have to put into keeping the beaches clean on a yearly on an annual basis. Um, mm -hmm. One thing I want to just like expand upon is that like over time, we see a lot of value in having a network of stations. Uh, mm -hmm. Thinking about these these stations beyond just a single post in the ground and a sign, but we're working on developing a software platform right now uh, that you can connect to via QR code on the sign. Uh, that can stand as a tie-in point to us collecting pollution information from beach walkers. So mm. if, say, somebody sees a filing cabinet on the beach, it's too big for them to move. Um, if they scan the sign or they know, you know the URL to access our, web plat our software platform, uh, they can report that information to us, and we can then relay that to the town. And sort of hmm. beginning to view these uh, stations as sort of tie-in points to a pollution monitoring network. Uh, and I think there's a lot of power in that because, you know, you open up your phone and it's like, oh, what do I want to do today on this Saturday? You know, maybe this is just me, but it's like, I can see, oh, hey, there's trash on this beach that's been reported. Like, let's go uh, right to the spot and pick it up. We can more um, mm -hmm. efficiently direct our efforts to remove the trash when we know exactly where it is. Um and there's really not a strong platform right now that exists for pollution monitoring. Um, and so I think over time, we really want to move our project in the direction of the baskets. You know, they're picking up trash, but also as a, as a reporting network for um, greater pollution information that we can then relay between all the, the shareholders, you know, the, the, the municipalities mm -hmm. the and all that. Yeah. I love that. That's kind of a very citizen scientist kind of mentality, you know, where like I talked to the guys from Gray Fish Tag uh, Research and they do something very similar where it's, you can, you know, you know, spaghetti tag a fish um, to then monitor that fish. And now they're gathering data on that fish without really having to do much. Right? It's a very passive way of you know, monitoring similar to what you guys are creating. So what, what's kind of been the process in going through that? Like, where are you guys at with that? And, and how does that all work? You know, you said you have a QR code linking it all together. That sounds, sounds like there's a lot of infrastructure involved with that. What's been the challenges so far trying to create that? Um, I think the biggest challenge, and I think Alex can attest to this as well, is that, uh, so much of our efforts right now are going into maintaining what we've what we're building, mm -hmm. um, and just meeting the overall demand for these stations at the moment. Like kind of running the beast, 
and uh, of the organization itself is is demanding and i think is taking time away from being able to develop those further goals that we have um, of the mm -hmm. pollution monitoring network so in the short term our challenge is definitely just getting our feet up off the ground you know this has been less than a year that we've been at this but um we've had mm -hmm. a really ambitious start and um i just want to make sure it's really important to all of us that we fulfill our responsibilities as a group um, to the fullest extent and that we don't leave a bad taste in anybody's mouth and that every single station is well maintained mm -hmm. um, so that we have a strong base to move forward on top of. So as much as I want to continue to pour my efforts into building the software platform, I feel like it's equally, if not more important to build a model of maintenancing that is scalable so that as we move forward and building more stations, we have a really strong plan for how we handle issues that come up, uh, things that are unknown to us even right now, you know, who knows what the summer is going to bring if a storm comes and, you know, wipes away a bunch of our structures, who knows? Um, you know, we just want to mm -hmm. be able to make sure that these stations are have a 24-7 uptime with constant availability of baskets and are always usable to everybody. Yeah, so. we, we definitely are going to focus. Yeah our efforts more so on quality control um, for the existing stations that we have, along with the additional um, 40 plus stations that we could potentially have before the start of the summer. So um, mm. as we create a plan to, you know, enforce that quality control and make sure that when somebody wants to go to the beach to, to do good and pick up trash, that they have that opportunity to do that at all times. Um, and then once we have mm -hmm. those foundations set and that business model set, then then we could expand into this this new trash monitoring idea. That's very much so an idea right now, but could could <laughs> could, could could bring real real good change. Yeah, it's all in the works. Yeah, well, I love it. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, it's all in the works. It's always it's an it's a constant evolution. You know, I mean, the things that I've been working on lately, it's it's always this. You know, you gotta con you gotta feed the beast, right? You gotta you gotta pay the bills. You gotta do the things that you gotta do. But then it's just always having this idea of, all right, well, how can we get a little bit better? How can we become a little bit more efficient? You know, and all those, all those steps then lead you to have the time to then go work on something like this, you know, and it, everything all fills into one pot, right? But, you know, as I'm, as I'm driving over the, Jam um, not the Jamestown Bridge, the Newport Bridge this afternoon, running a little bit behind, you know, hands going on. Oh yeah. It's, it's constant. <laughs> That bridge will never be done. They're, when they tear that bridge down, there's going to be guys on the other side painting it as they blow it up. Like that, that thing is never going to be done. I'm quite confident in it. But, um, you know, as I'm coming over the bridge, hands, you know, still covered in oil from the oil changes that I was doing all day today. Um, I called you up, right? And you're like, hey, I'm, I'm wiring this thing right now. I'm like, well, what are you wiring? You know, so and as I'm kind of watching your Instagram and seeing you guys, you know, what you guys got going on, I'm seeing this big white trailer, you know, with this really cool interior getting built out. And you go ahead and say, like, oh, this is going to be our new mobile shop. So you got to tell me, you got to fill me in. Like, what's the deal with the trailer? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so I guess like a month, a month ago, we uh, went and purchased this trailer with, uh, big expectations of turning this trailer into a, a mobile store. Um, mm -hmm. So like we said earlier, I think what really took 
took our business to the next level was attending all these trade shows. And we saw that um, when you have a display that stands out at these trade shows and you could offer somebody something else that nobody else is offering, it makes a big difference at these mm -hmm. shows. So um, this summer we're planning on rolling up to these shows with this trailer and um, it, the trailer serves multiple purposes. Um, not only can we use it as a relic um, t-shirt trailer, but we could also use it as a beach cleanup trailer where we bring the trailer to beaches and mm. host um, beach cleanup events where we have baskets hanging on the walls. Um, we have beach um, picker uppers, like trash pickers um, hanging on the walls as well. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it goes twofold. There's, there's multiple um, things that can come out of this trailer and we're really excited about it. Yeah, it looks awesome. I mean, it looks like you guys are doing some pretty, pretty uh, serious handiwork in there so far. We're are trying. Any, like, are you guys going to get the outside wrapped and whatnot? <laughs> you try. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. We're sort of in this internal debate right now as to whether we should go with like simple vinyl decaling or um, if I should put the time into, you know, making the trailer into an art piece. Um, and it's kind of an, an internal debate that's going on. Like, do we go for a simple clean look or do we go for an eye catching, uh, you know, something that's, you know, kind of like our shirts are sort of unique and, um, you know, you sort of look at it right off the bat, like, what is that, you know? Um, mm. so, but that's all to come because right now we're just trying to do something as simple as, you know, finish the wiring for lighting and, um, put down right. some vinyl flooring and that kind of thing. Uh, simple for most mm -hmm. people, but you know, <laughs> we're, we're learning our ways as, as, you know, <laughs> contractors, YouTube so university, two steps forward. <laughs> yeah. And steps back and <laughs> a lot more money, <laughs> yeah. but it's a learning. <laughs> it's always more money than you think. Yeah. <laughs> it's always more. And it's always like one thing that you would think would be so easy to do. Like I had this one bolt that I had to get out of this engine. Right. That was a six hour ordeal because it was seized. And it was like, all I need to do is get this one bolt out and I'm done, you know, and it's just, nope, yeah. not going to happen. So now I, I totally get it. And I, I think um, definitely put me down for a vote in the loud, bold and unique pile um, <laughs> right, because I think it, <laughs> well, well, all right. That's what I'm here for. That's why we did this, you know? Um, yeah. But, you know, I got to say like within every organization, nonprofit, for-profit, whatever it is, right? Team. There's always this, there's always a team behind that team, you know, and you guys have such a strong community. And I guess just a few seconds ago, I kind of put it in my head as to, you know, maybe the word relic, you know, the name behind it is, is even more suitable than I thought. Right. Because here you guys are trying to create a brand that lasts like a relic. Right. And mm -hmm. is that kind of, was that kind of the mindset behind that? Yeah, that's a great question. We took the name off of a drawing that I drew in high school that I had just sort of doodled on the word relic and was like, you know, that's, it sounds cool. It's simple. It's short. Let's go with it. And we've sort of been spending the last couple of years trying to figure out like, how does that apply to what we're doing? You know, <laughs> mm. and, um, a lot of people have given us a lot of explanations, none of which are as good as what you just said. Um, <laughs> and actually it's really funny because I felt like one of the things that really finally stuck with me about what, you know, we could be aside from what you just said, which I think is excellent is came out of our last conversation of, you know, the t-shirt 
in your closet that you haven't thrown away for so long because it has so much meaning mm -hmm. to you and you have so many memories wearing it because it's, you know, long lasting and has, you know, some sort of, you know, memory tied to it. I think that is kind of mm. part, in part what I'm thinking a relic, you know, relic, how it applies, you know, is like it, you know, we, we are striving to create a product that is going to be in your closet for a long time, <laughs> you know, and to be one of those relics yeah. that you say, um, you know, wow, that's an old shirt or, you know, I haven't worn this one in a while, but I used to wear this for years kind of thing, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. but additionally, yeah, that community aspect is, is huge too. And like building a long lasting brand that, you know, ends up being a relic, uh, or even, you know, restoring the relic of the ocean, which I really think is the oyster. You know, we used to have so many oysters mm -hmm. on the East coast and actually all over the world, uh, that have been decimated. And so, you know, they really provide so much structure to our bays where 90% of the life in the ocean originates um, that, you know, you could call them the relic of the, the ocean, you know, so it kind of all yeah, sort of for sure. a definition of, of how it applies to us. But I think there's a lot of different ways, like, you know, we're touching on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's kind of touched on a little bit before, but this whole aspect of the team behind the team, you know, like you guys are brothers, which super cool. I mean, to create something with a family member and to that, that person to be your brother, you know, I just talked to a father and son duo who is doing a coffee company, all gauged around the ocean and helping, you know, conservation and so on and so forth. Very cool. You know, brand that podcast will be coming out soon. Um, but to be a brother, like it's, there's something to be said about having a brother. You know, like I have, a, I have a little brother and there's no, there's no connection that is quite like it. Right. So how has that been, uh, uh, you know, how has that been when you guys create a company? Right. And not only that, but you have this whole team and community behind you, right. Friends, family, that all plays a very important role into what relic has become. I ha I have to imagine. Yeah. I, the first thought that came into my mind is that we just we feed off of each other and it we've never really viewed relic as work or as a business it's more so mm -hmm. been a creativity that that we that we've formed through the, the passions that we have within the ocean um those experiences that we says that we've shared together it's kind of we, we we feed each other and we build off of those ideas and those experiences that we've had and i think that's you know where how relic started and where it's gone and you know that definitely plays a part in it what would you say yeah i would absolutely agree i think it ties back to that experience concept that we started the podcast with which you know we've been fortunate enough as brothers to have so much of the same experience in a lot of ways and even though it's been different in, in some ways but like we've grown up in the same place <laughs> yep. we spent the same time fishing with dad uh being on the boat and right. i think that is such a strong unifying thing between the two of us that has kept us sort of focused on the same thing. Um, and I think it's the same thing that drives the rest of our team. And um, it's that, you know, it's that experience of working together to protect something and preserve something that we all really care about. And that's such a big part of how we grew up. And I'm so fortunate to be able to say that, you know, um, 
but yeah, I mean, I couldn't have done any of this without Alex. And I think the two of us working together on it has been great for our relationship together. And, um, mm-hmm. none of it would have come out, come out of anything less than the brother relationship that we've had. So also with our, with our other two partners <laughs> too, it's, you know, they're, they're two guys who also experiences, experience those same experiences that we've had on the ocean, fishing, seeing mm-hmm. the, the quality of the water, uh, decrease and you know those guys just have the same feeling too and you know other friends too who love the brand everybody in our area kind of has seen the same thing and it really creates for this environment of inclusion when it comes to our brand Um, that's something that's really driven us yeah i think that there's a closeness like with the brothers and i think that like we kind of maybe i don't know maybe that sort of has spread in sort of the messaging of our brand or sort of like the direction we want to go in like i know some brands aim to be you know top of the shelf like high end products that you know you have to pay a lot to buy into and i mean our clothing you know it's not cheap but what you pay for is organic and what you pay for is quality so i think it's fairly priced mm-hmm. in that sense but um i think you know we're growing for a brand that like is inclusive and does uh you know is accessible to everybody. I like, uh, you know, that's important to me that like, as we continue to grow, we find ways to be able to open ourselves up to the community and, and have everybody be involved. Um, and I think it's that kind of family mentality, you know, like we're kind of all facing this issue together and the only way we're going to solve it is by coming together, um, in my opinion. And so, um, you know, like Alex and I have worked together, like we're just kind of adding on to the family, <laughs> you know, it's like, we have this closeness. I think <laughs> that we're all unified by this sort of same cause, <clears throat> but yeah. 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 Well, on that note, I mean, where, where can people learn more about relic? Where could people get involved? How can they buy a shirt? Like where can people go from here? Yeah, I mean, uh, our website, uh, www.relic-design.com uh, or following us on Instagram at, at relic underscore design. We're going to be, you know, uh, constantly posting new content and um, we try to, you know, include everybody in on what, what we're up to. We have so much exciting stuff to come that, uh, you know, we didn't even get to touch on. So. <laughs> but yeah, forward. well, what's one of those things, like what are one of the things that you're referring to? Well, I mean, just the expansion of our beach cleaner project, the expansion of our yeah. voice restoration mission, the trailer, uh, new product development, um, you know, getting things like hats and board shorts and, you know, finding all sustainable ways to expand our product line and having every product that we, you know, release from here on out be, mm-hmm. uh, you know, organic or sustainable or, you know, some, you know, the best alternative that exists for that product is what we want to offer. And so, um, those are all things that we're striving to achieve as we grow at a rate that's organic for us. <laughs> that's the key. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. Growing organically has been kind of, I think is what builds a brand that lasts, you know, and all those things that you just listed off tells me that, uh, there's definitely more to come with relic. I'm getting that kind of vibe. So, um, man, guys, it, it's been great to be able to talk with you for the, you know, the past hour and, and get to learn all about relic, learn more about you guys. And then, uh, yeah, I'm just excited to be able to keep this door open and talk to you soon. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's keep in touch. Thank you for <laughs> yeah. having us. Yeah. Thanks guys. Thank you so much. 
Thanks for tuning in to Along the Keel. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the show, and be sure to go over to Relic's website to learn more about what they are doing to help better our Earth's oceans and the coastlines. While you're there, make sure to get yourself a cool sweatshirt or tee and help these guys plant more oysters in Long Island Sound, as well as keeping our beaches clean. All good things are coming out of Relic, and I'm really excited to see what is in store for the future. And it's been a pleasure getting to know both Aiden and Alex. Anyways, make sure to show your support for Along the Keel. Give us some love on social media. Check us out on our website, longthekeel.com. And it would be a huge thank you if you could go over and leave us a five-star review on Apple and iTunes. Those go a very long way. And also sign up for our newsletter to keep in touch with what's coming in on the next tide. And with that, I hope you guys work hard, do good, be incredible, and have an awesome day.